come and ask your hard questions in a safe place. And what you're, you're learning, what this safe place, this sanctuary for the psalmist began to explain to him is that God is not done. Yes, there, there are hard things. There are things that don't make sense. But, but God is not done with everything that's going on. Verse 18 and 19. Truly, Lord, you, you set them, that is the evil, in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we're continuing our Summer Psalm series. This message from Psalm 73 comes from Brian Chapel as he explains how we can bring our hard questions to God and the Psalms allow us and actually invite us to bring our concerns to the throne of grace. Stay tuned for that, but first, we'll continue our conversation with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis as we discuss the doctrine of creation. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. In our previous study last month in the story of Abraham, our theme verse was Romans 4, 1 through 3, and that was a quotation of Genesis 15, verse 6, that said that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, obviously, believing God is important, and believing the promise of salvation is how we are saved. For all who believe and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if one calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But what does it really mean to believe in God? Can we just believe that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again? Do we have to believe everything that the Bible says? Do we have to believe that there was an actual worldwide flood and Noah built an ark and survived it? Do we have to believe in the Tower of Babel, that God confounded the languages and and spread everyone across the world? Do we actually have to believe that God created the world, that it didn't just form over natural selection? Well, our guest today is Ken Ham, and as a series, we've been breaking down various doctrines over the course of this year, and this time, this week, we're talking about the doctrine of God of creation, that God created the entire world. So, Ken Ham, uh, why is this so important? Why is it essential that that we as Christians believe that God created the heavens and the earth when uh, everything else is really about salvation, is about Jesus on the cross and empty tomb? Well, you know, if you really think about it, the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first verse is the foundational verse for the foundational chapter, for the foundational 11 chapters for the rest of the Bible. I mean, if that first verse is not true, then neither of the rest is true. If God is not creator, then nothing else, um, nothing else stands. It all goes. And the fact that God is creator means what? It means he owns us. Mm. It means he has a right to set the rules. He has a right to determine what's right and what's wrong. We don't have that right. He is the absolute authority. That's what it means. He has a right to determine what's good, what's bad. It's like in the New Testament when that man came to Jesus and said, good master, and he said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that is God, because the attributes of God defines what is good. You don't define what is good. God defines what is good. And, you know, if you think about what's happening today, uh, I see in, in much of the church, sadly, where people are responding to where the culture is at maybe mm-hmm. in regard to gay marriage or abortion or whatever, and then they're going to the Bible and reinterpreting uh, God's word. But you see, if God is the creator and this is his word, then we should be using his word to judge what people are saying, not the other way around. So it really matters if you understand 
whether or not God is creator and whether you believe God is creator. Mm. I do think that's really important because we're living in a culture where we want to shy away from the the kind of rough edges of the Bible, so to speak, and there's even people that want to talk about unhinging from the Old Testament and just focusing on the New Testament. But there in itself presents some challenges where how do we talk about the resurrection? Because when we mention that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, people roll their eyes. There is a lot of foolishness if you are on the outside looking in, but if we deny these details, if we try to shy away from them, we're actually denying the power of the gospel. I was teaching this to a bunch of little kids, and and I had to explain to them, I said, you're going to go through a lot of these training in your classrooms, and your teachers are going to say that uh, what we believe is not true, but I'm going to tell you, as a fully grown man, I believe these things with all of my heart. I believe that God created the world. I believe that God uh, raised Jesus from the dead. I believe these things, and they are central to our faith. I think that there's a way in which a lot of people sh- want to shy away from those sort of rough edges, hard to explain components of the Bible. Well, you're right about that. And, you know, I often uh, I say to people, if I'm speaking to an audience and uh, I, I, I say to people, um, you know, now, do you believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead? And, you know, in, in the church, of course, uh, you know, you would you would hope everyone would say, yes, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Um, and I would say, how do you know that that is true? Hmm. Um, were you there? Did um, did you see a movie rerun of it? Um, I mean, the Passion movie, you know, that's not a movie rerun of what happened. Uh, so how do you know? Well, because the Bible says, okay, so you believe that uh, Jesus healed the sick? Do you believe he raised the dead? Do you believe he fed thousands uh, with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread? Uh, do you believe that he uh, cured the blind and the deaf and the lame? And Well, yes, but how do you know? Oh, because the Bible says. Okay, so let's go back to the Old Testament now. Do you believe that the Israelites crossed the Jordan River? Do you believe that they crossed the Red Sea? Well, yes, they're miracles. How do you know that? Because God's word says. Okay, do you believe the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out or their shoes didn't wear out? Yes. Well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says. Do you believe a man was swallowed by a fish and lived for three days in a fish? Well, yes, the Bible says. But then you go to Genesis in this day and age and you say, do you believe that God created in six literal days? There was a global flood and uh, that, um, that there are only two people to start with, Adam and Eve, made from dust, made from his side. And then you often hear them say, well, uh, well, no, today we live in a scientific age. Because of what science is saying, you know, uh, we could have come from ape men or um, maybe the days are long periods of time. Or, And, and to me, it's like a, a schizophrenia. We're, we're finding, finding people today who, in the church who will say, oh, you can believe the doctrines in the New Testament, but then you go, to, why? You know, because the Bible says. Then you go to the Old Testament. Yeah, we, you know, we believe a lot of that. You go to Genesis. Well, no. Why? because they've been impacted by the world, impacted by the secular scientists, and they think that that overrules God's word. And we've got to put out that, that inconsistency there. And by the way, when people say that, you know, you can unhinge the Old Testament from the New Testament, the New Testament is founded in the Old Testament, and all of it ultimately is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. And you'll find that those pastors, and I know the one that you're referring to that actually uh, makes that statement about unhinging from the Old Testament, I'll guarantee they don't believe in a literal Genesis. See, you know what I find? As soon as people believe the Genesis account of creation, the fall, the flood, Terra Babel, as written, 
they have no problem usually believing the rest. Mm -hmm. um, but you'll often find that those that reinterpret aspects of doctrine and scripture and say Old Testament doesn't matter and so on, they've been impacted by the world that causes them to doubt that you can trust the Bible from the very beginning because they think science has disproved this or something like that. We've been talking with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis, also the founder of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Uh, some really great attractions for uh, for your interest. If you want to find out more information, give us a call, 508-362-7070. I just had someone from our church visit the Ark Encounter and came back incredibly excited. All the amazing things that we can teach uh, children about what God has done faithfully. That's what the Psalms are proclaiming to us. We'll see that more as this summer goes on. Proclaiming to the next generation what God has done to show them that they can trust God. If you can't trust God uh, as a creator, if you can't trust God as in over all of the circumstances, the natural sciences, then how can you trust God with your immediate needs? And most importantly, how can you trust God for your salvation? You know, the Bible gives us a lot of these questions, but it also provides us these answers. And that is why we've been doing this doctrine series, trying to break down uh, crucial theological precepts that are essential to the Christian faith, that we hold to dearly as a reminder that God is who he claims to be from his word, and we can trust the scriptures. If you Again, if you want to find out more information about this project and our conversation with Ken Ham, please give us a call, 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. Well, today we're continuing our Summer Psalm series, and this week we're starting off with Psalm 73. This message from uh, Brian Chapel explains to us how to bring our questions to God. Uh, that's one of the things I love so much about the Psalms. They, they they don't shy away from the difficult sides of the Christian faith. What we struggle with on a daily basis, uh, the questions that we might have that are that are rumbling around in our brains, we can bring all of our questions, even the hard questions, to the throne of God, to the throne of grace. He hears us and he answers us. He responds to us in our time of need. Here is Dr. Brian Chapel with a closer look at Psalm 73. And the real question ultimately comes not only why do the evil prosper, but why not me? I'm trying to be good. I'm doing the right stuff. I'm honoring God. Why, why not me? And maybe just a little hint of the answer is because the real concern is not their prosperity. It's my envy. <laughs> I want what they got. I want their stuff. Why doesn't being a Christian mean I get what I want? More real candor when you kind of push in is finally the psalmist saying in verse 15, if I had said I would speak thus, if I tell you what's really on my mind, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. <laughs> Cover their ears. <laughs> don't let the kids hear what really we think, right? We are, we are so upset, we, we don't, but, but we don't want to wreck vacation Bible school or Sunday school with really hard questions. So cover the ears of the children. If I really said what I thought, I would betray children. And it's that, that little moment of sobriety, that, that little moment of reflection. I better not say this or, or I'll hurt children that actually begins to lead the psalmist down a whole another path. 
you remember what he says in verse 16? When I thought how to understand all of this unfairness, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Oh yeah, there, there is much to trip the soul in our world. But what settles your heart? What settled the heart of the psalmist? He said, a sanctuary perspective. Now, I know when you start talking sanctuary, you start thinking about churchy language and vacation Bible school stuff, but, but recognize sanctuary just means a safe place. I went into a safe place with my hard questions. Sometimes we think we can't do that in the sanctuary, in the church of Jesus Christ. But so much of what is beautiful about this place is we have had more and more testimonies of of like where people are saying, I went through some hard stuff. There's some things in my life that I'm not proud of, but the Lord helped me, and there's hope for you too. That we have support groups for people wrestling with all kinds of life issues. And that is a beautiful expression of what the church can give people. That you can come and ask your hard questions in a safe place. And what you're, you're learning, what this safe place, this sanctuary for the psalmist began to explain to him is that God is not done. Yes, there, there are hard things. There are things that don't make sense. But, but God is not done with everything that's going on. Verse 18 and 19. Truly, Lord, you, you set them, that is the evil, in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. We, we sometimes observe other people and do not recognize the insecurity of evil. We should. They truly are in more slippery places than the world would normally identify. Evil illusions may seem to have their day. But let me just ask you, honestly, honestly, honestly. Do you really think that because Michael Jackson had wealth and fame, that he was perfectly content and happy every day? What world are you living in? I mean, do you really think that wealth, fame, and power bring contentment and peace and absolute lack of fear if you're a a king or a dictator or a speaker of the house? If we really read the news items, what, what do we learn? But that those who pursue life against the Lord actually know how slippery is the slope they're on. Living in fear, accumulating all we can, knowing that the more I push the marbles of my wealth together, the more it seems like they're going to get away from me. The more desperate I become, the more I wonder and worry. I mean, what world do we live in that says that, that movie idols and icons are perfectly healthy, balanced, and their families bring them total happiness? What world is that? Where, where is that in evidence? There is no more unrealistic conclusion than to conclude that the evil are happy. That walking away from God will bring you contentment. That a life apart from Scripture is one that's truly happy. Where does the world prove that? Over and over again, if, if we will look in the headlines beyond just kind of the, the things that strain us, we, we see the answers of Scripture saying, this is not the way to go. And it's not just that there is temporary insecurity and evil. 
God is honest enough to tell us something more. Verse 27, Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. There is an end to wickedness. And at the end of wickedness, there is judgment. And God is saying not only is the pursuit of life apart from God now truly discontenting, but there is judgment to come. And that realism is what Christians are to be taking into account. It's to settle ourselves. Is that really a better path? Is that really where I want to be going? God is telling us to take off our rose-colored glasses and look at the world as it really is. Have you ever asked this question? Of course you have. Everyone's asked this question. I can't even count how many times I've asked it. Uh, it's so prevalent in my thinking, and it obviously it's not a new thing because Asaph was thinking this thousands of years ago. Why do the wicked prosper? You know, when you consider all of the questions that we have in our mind, and you also consider the worldview philosophies of our day, especially those sort of religious ideas of, of karma or the secret. You know what? You understand what I'm talking about. When you, If you just put positive vibes out into the world, you'll receive positive vibes back. Well, that is a lie. It is a false truth. And we all know it. That has failed us time and time again, because you look out in the world and you see that the wicked are prospering and it drives us nuts, doesn't it? Because we think that things should even out. Things should pan out better than that. And we all have this sort of karma idea in our minds that bad people should get punished and good people should prosper. But if you look out in our society today, you'll see the opposite over and over again. Well, that's because God doesn't operate on these terms of karma. He doesn't just say, if you put positive energy out there, you'll get positive energy in return. God's plan is very different. And that's what Psalm 73 is teaching us. But why is this so so much of a problem? Why does it consume us so much? We know that it consumed Asaph thousands of years ago because he spends the majority of Psalm 73 talking about this, looking and observing what the wicked are doing and how they're getting away with evil and how they're prospering in their wickedness. He is really become an exegete. He understands how to break down the elements of what's happening in the world, and he understands it so well. Uh, He understands how the wicked are able to manipulate. They live without fear and without guilt and without shame, and they're, they're living in such a way that they don't care what other people think about them. Oh, that drives me nuts. Does it drive you nuts? Well, the truth is, it, it is a constant reminder to us of the life that we want that's the sad part. It's We want to be able to live carefree life. We want to be able to live without guilt and without shame. We don't want to feel bad about our sin. But that's kind of like saying we have no nerve endings at all. And that is very dangerous. Let me explain. If you could not feel the heat in your hand, you would end up with a lot of burns. Sure, it wouldn't hurt you, but it would cause irreparable damage, wouldn't it? The same happens without a conscience, without a conviction of what's happening in the world. So part of what you're experiencing is the grace of God, that he's allowing you to feel guilty about things that you've done. He's allowing you to feel shame about things that have happened in your life. But here is the good news. God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take away all of our sin, to pay the penalty for our guilt, 
and to wipe away all of our shame. We ought to wipe our faces off and stand firm and boldly in proclaiming that we have been forgiven. We should find our comfort in Christ, not our own works, not our own righteousness, and not just numbing ourselves to the real consequences of sin, but instead affirming that Christ has saved us and his grace is sufficient. That is a far more beautiful approach, isn't it? When you consider the grace and the love of God, would you rather have that or would you rather have no nerve endings and see all of the eventual irreparable damage that you're doing with your life without having a care in this world? There are two paths that you can go. And the one that leads the conscience that leads to life is the way, the path of righteousness. I hope that this encourages you and hopefully challenges you in some way. If it does, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, PO Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study as we're looking at this call to understand why the wicked prosper and learning to trust in God. Listen, everything good the wicked will ever receive will be in this short span of life. And there is a contrast. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, verses 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.